Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. From the dead, yes, we needed to tell the story in order to understand the great celebration of the resurrection. The scripture teaches us in Mark, after Jesus rose from the early Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. My question to you this morning and those looking in online this morning, do you really believe? Father, may your spirit that hovered over the face of this earth assisting in creation, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Work in the minds and hearts of those that love you, encouraging us how much love you have for us. You demonstrated that when you died on our behalf. And then for those who may have never believed because we once were there one time and you convicted us of these truths would you do that to those that may be here for the first time and they're going to give their lives to you or perhaps they're listening in the quietness of their home would you please holy spirit do what jesus told us you would do when he left that you would convict the world of sin and convict the world of their unbelief that jesus is god in the flesh the messiah May your name be exalted through your servants and through the listeners. May we sense your presence this morning. And I pray again, not only for this church, but all the places around the world that are teaching the truths of God. May they penetrate the hearts and minds of your children and those who are going to become your children. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. And you can imagine the name uh, this morning. I, I was going to tell you, Uh, some people, you know, only go to church once a year and once on Christmas, and I was going to preach about hell. (laughs) But I figured that may not be too popular, and it may be empty next Easter. So I rewrote the script, and it says, the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. Resurrection from the dead. Well, we no longer have to go to that place, those who believe. And so I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Many of you may not know this, but it's a whole chapter in the Bible, not one verse, not one word, about the resurrection from the dead. I love this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It just makes you comfortable. It gives you hope. It gives you peace and much, much more. So let's begin by looking at the evidence that is overwhelming for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, 
I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Mm -hmm. That's why you're here. You're taking your stand on the gospel. By this gospel, the good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, you know many have abandoned the faith, meaning they were never of the faith. He said, and if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Here is the gospel that you and me need to share with everyone who is willing to listen. For what I received, Paul said, I passed on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, there it is, the gospel, the good news that Christ died and rose again in order for the resurrection to have an impact in your life or in someone else's life. You must tell them why it's such good news on Sunday, the resurrection day, because Christ died for our sins. Remember to tell them that. That's why we gave you sort of a historical view before we get to the resurrection. And then he was buried, and then he rose again. And that's what we're celebrating this morning, the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. Notice in this particular passage, it tells us according to scriptures. This just didn't happen all of a sudden. For thousands of years, God had promised the nation of Israel and the world that a Messiah would come and that he would be brutally beaten and that he would be buried and that he would rise again. Just tell your friends and your Jewish friends to read, yes, Isaiah 53, the gospel in the Old Testament. My son wrote a song on Isaiah 53. It's one of my favorite songs that he's written. It's very scriptural. Surely this is. Surely this is. If you have a chance, I'm not promoting it, nor am I asking you to buy it. Just surely this is. Wonderful song about Isaiah 53. God told us in advance that this was going to happen. Now, let's look this morning at the witnesses and see if it won't increase your faith, believer. And if you're an unbeliever, see if it won't spark some interest in this story of the resurrection. Let's look at verse 5. And after that, he appeared to Peter. Oh, yes, this guy that had denied him. I wonder if the truth were known, and I ask you to raise your hand. Before you came to know Christ, did you ever deny him? Secondly, after you've come to Christ, have you ever denied you've known him? Peter the leader of the church denied him three times that he knew him. And yet Jesus appeared to him. So you see the sinful nature of even a believer. But do you also see the love of Jesus on the cross and the love of Jesus going up to Peter and forgiving him? There is no sin that you've committed that God will not stretch out his hand in love and say, I forgive you. What's keeping you from asking him? To forgive you this morning. Go to him. He came to Peter and extended the right hand of fellowship. He also came to the 12 apostles. So you have Peter who denied him. And then you have the apostles. Notice in verse 5 again. And after he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. Now remember the 12 had scattered and they were nowhere to be found when you need a friend. 
They all disappeared. In fact, one came out of his clothes and left naked. That's how fast he wanted to split the scene. Now, there they are in the upper room, and Jesus appeared when the doors were locked. He showed himself to them. They are our witnesses because they were nowhere to be found when they arrested Jesus. Now we find them giving their very lives for the gospel. I always wondered if someone came in here right now and put a gun to my head and said, like they did to one of those young ladies at the massacre, deny Jesus and you'll live. Say you know him, you'll die. I wonder how many of us would say, I know him. Do you know all apostles gave their lives and they didn't give up for a lie? Someone has said, again, that Jesus is either a liar. Remember, he's the only one that said he came out of the grave. Buddha didn't. Confucius didn't. Muhammad didn't. Elvis didn't. Houdini didn't. I know there's been some uh, Elvis spottings here and there. No one's come out of the grave. Only Jesus claimed to come out of the grave. So he's either a liar or a lunatic, or he is who he said he is. Look at the evidence. It's overwhelming. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12. And then, guess what? He appeared to a few people. 500 people. Let's look at that passage and see if you don't gather some confidence in this story. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers not the lost people, the brothers at the same time. Hmm, hope you'll be here at church next week. You never know what God's going to do in his services. He appeared to 500 people at one time. Guess what? If you decided to skip church that morning and go out to the sea fishing or go golfing or go play pickleball, you would have missed out on seeing God resurrected. 500 people. I tell people this all the time. Peterson was convicted to life imprisonment on circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial. Is this circumstantial? There's plenty of evidence that Jesus appeared and is alive. 500 people. Then what about the half-brother of Jesus? Notice in verse 7. Then he appeared to James. Now remember, James was the half-brother of Jesus. His family did not believe in him. Notice in John chapter 7, we're reminded of this fact when Jesus was doing his work on earth and, and his family was around watching him do some things and they said, you can't become famous if you hide like this. You, can't, you can do such wonderful things. Go, if you can do these things, go show yourself to the world. Get out there. Come on. We don't believe in you. Go ahead. Prove yourself. For even his brothers did not believe in him. You see how the evidence is mounting, unbeliever? And see how encouraging it is, believer? The half-brother of Jesus did not believe in him. Now he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Wow. How beautiful, how sweet it is to see these lives changed around. But you know something? It doesn't end there. We have our first conversion amongst the ISIS ranks. Here it is, verse 8 and 9. Paul, he said to all of us, and last of all, he appeared to me also. 
as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted, I consented, I had people killed because they said, I know Jesus. We've seen that depicted in our lifetime, in our lifetime when they cut off the heads of all those that refused to deny Jesus Christ. Paul was one of those guys, and God converted him. Oh, think about your friend that you're going, there's no way, Jose, this person's getting saved. Think again. God may use you to share the gospel with that person. Please, please don't give up. God did not give up on you. But you know the evidence doesn't end there. What about us? What about us sitting in this church this morning? Before you became a believer, where would you be on a Sunday morning? Sleeping in? Down at the beach? Out in the golf course? Out at a restaurant eating breakfast? Sleeping over from a hangover? But we're here giving evidence to the resurrected power in us. You remember the sin you used to live in, don't you? It dominated you. All of a sudden you said, God, Jesus, save me. Some people, nothing happens. Other people, there is a transformation in their lives. A thief becomes a giver. A liar begins to tell the truth. A stingy person becomes a giver. We know, you know, and millions have known down through the corridors of 2,000 years that Jesus has been resurrected and that resurrected power that raised him from the dead has raised you from the dead today. Amen? Praise God. You know that. So you're not relying on a story that's 2,000 years old. So if you're an atheist here today, an agnostic today, an unbeliever today, we're not basing it on the great true story of 2,000 years. The evidence is overwhelming, what God has done. See, he's left you and me a lot of evidence about the resurrection. But still, but still the scripture says, those sitting in the church and around the world sitting in the churches, many still believe, believe it or not, there is no such thing as the resurrection. Paul tackles that line of argument beginning in verse 12. Let's look at it. He said, but if, if it is preached that the Messiah, Christ, has been raised from the dead, then how come some of you are saying there is no resurrection? That means you, as a daddy, a mama, a Sunday school teacher, a Bible teacher, you're telling a lie. You're a false teacher. You're a cult. You're leading a cult. Because you're not telling the truth if there is no resurrection. Do you see how stupid that is? And if there is no resurrection, let's read in verse 13 and 16. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ, which we are celebrating today, has not been raised. He reiterates this in verse 16 again. For if the dead are not raised, then Messiah has not been raised either. See how idiotic that is? You're sitting in a church, you're preaching the Bible, but you do not believe in the resurrection from the dead. Not only that, our preaching is in vain. Notice in verse 14. 
And if Christ the Messiah has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. I always wanted to be an actor, so I should go just be an actor then. What do you want to be? What do you want to do with your time and money and resources? If there's no such thing as the resurrection, our preaching is in vain. I'd have to give up my day job and go do something else. You'd have to give up your faith. Notice in verse 14b, so if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith in miracles, your faith in answered prayers, your faith that you would see your son or your daughter or your mom and dad who have passed away and gone on to be with the Lord. It's all in vain if there's no resurrection. Then all of us, will have died like common criminals believing in something that was a lie. Truth is hardly ever heard. Everyone is so untrue. You remember that song? Some of us remember that song. Honesty is hardly ever heard. Everyone is so untrue. Turn on the television. You don't know what to believe about. Mask, no mask. Vaccine, no vaccine. We don't know what to believe today. If you want to find the truth, come to this church. We teach the truth of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We do. We don't do it legalistically. We're not legalists. We're not liberals. A legalist is someone who gives you a bunch of rules and says you need to live by that to prove you're some beautiful Christian. A liberal picks and chooses what they want to believe about God's word. And we're not that. We teach the word of God. Notice we're reading the whole chapter of the Bible. By the way, isn't that what we should do when we're in the house of God? Pray, sing, and read his word. Amen. Let's continue to see what it has to say about the resurrection. Now, the ramifications, if there was no resurrection, false teachers, Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, your faith is useless, all the apostles are liars. And not only that, we're guilty in our sins. Let's look at 15 through 17. More than that, Paul said, we are found to be false witnesses about God. We find those people in the airports. We find them down the street. Here, there's some false witnesses about who Jesus is in beautiful buildings. The apostles said, well, we would be those individuals if Christ indeed has not been risen from the dead. Not only that, he said, but he did not raise him. If, in fact, the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, guess what? Then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And here's the big punchline. You are still in your sins. Man, when I look back at my life and I think about the sins that you've committed, <laughs> not me, <laughs> you've committed, <laughs> I think, oh, boy, aren't they, they're, they're lucky. And then I look in the mirror and I go, whoo, hallelujah, praise God for delivering me from all my sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And even the prettiest, the ugliest, the tallest, the skinniest, the widest, the smallest, the largest, all of you are sinners that have been saved by God's grace. I want to forgive you because I love you and here's how much I love you. Oh, man, it's, it's hard to find people like that. I mean, we're, we find it hard sometimes to forgive our spouses. 
Some of you are still angry at your spouse this morning because they burnt your toast. They didn't serve you uh, coffee in bed. Didn't cook your breakfast. Something else that's not only would we be guilty of our sin still, but we would be lost. Notice in verse 18. Paul's telling us, as he's given us this line of argument, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. We have no hope. If you have no hope, I've said this before, notice the chaos that's going on in our country. Those are people that have no hope. Just read Romans 1. They're sinning so much, and then finally God just gives them over to the depraved mind, and they do anything they want, as the Scripture says in the Old Testament, Each does what's right in their own eyes. Don't we see that going on right now in our country? Now take away the hope. Take away the hope of the resurrection. Oh, my goodness. It'd be like your worst nightmare. Praise God for the hope in the resurrection. And one other thing I like is verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. I've thought about this many times. Have you ever thought about this? If if, if God were not real. But you and me lived according to the principles found in this word. I know I would be a better husband to my wife, a better father to my children, a better grandpa to my grandchildren, even a better pastor to the people of God. Even if there was no God, but there is a God. There is someone that sits on the throne. But he's telling us, what good would our faith be if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men, then we just need to make a beeline for the temporary pleasures of this world if God, if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Okay, we got that. Most of you here believe in the resurrection from the dead, but Paul gave that to us for a reason. More and more people are not believing. Remember what Jesus said about the last days. What did he say? As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be before I come back. He said this, will I find faith on the earth when I come back? What does it imply? That there's not going to be a lot of people believing in Jesus Christ. Just like it was in the days of Noah. But we know there's a resurrection and it's explained in detail how this is possible in verse 20. Beginning in verse 20. Let's look at it. But Christ, this is the resurrection chapter, he said, spite of all the doubt, he, I don't care what you think, someone has said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know what's wrong with that equation? It doesn't matter what you believe. God said it, that settles it. And that's what Paul is telling him. It doesn't matter, you can speculate all you want, you can doubt all you want. But he said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first Fruits of those who have fallen asleep. These are the details he explained. Christ has resurrected. In verse 21, he continues, For since death came through a man, he's reasoning with, I I like rational reasoning. I like that. I have an inquiring mind. So he's saying, since you know Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, now all of us are going to die because of Adam and Eve. I bet some of you can't wait to meet Adam and Eve when you get to heaven. (laughs) By the way, they're going to be there according to Scripture. I believe they are there. I believe they repented of their sin and they raised their child or their children. Remember Cain and Abel? Abel believed and offered sacrifices to God. He learned that 
from his mom and dad. But, but Paul's appealing to your intellect and saying, listen, sin passed, was passed on to all men, so we're all going to die. In spite of all the cosmetics, in spite of all the pills, in spite of all the vitamins, you're going to die. The good news is you're, you're, some of you are going to die. But some will be here when he comes back. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Please come quickly. Amen. So if that makes sense to you, he goes on to say in 21, for since death came through a man, then, isn't it reasonable to understand that the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man? Who is that man? Jesus Everyone else in Christ will also be raised. Notice verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in the Messiah. I always like to say Messiah because people don't realize the Messiah means Savior. So in Christ, the Greek name of the Messiah, will be made alive. That means you and me. The confidence is building. There's many witnesses. And all those that believe in Christ, they will also be given life. In fact, Jesus said... Those who believe have already passed from death unto life. Already you have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. Your citizenship is in heaven. Everyone in Christ will be given life. Then he kind of gives the order. God is an orderly God of the resurrection in verse 23. Notice. But each of his own turn, Christ, the Messiah, is the first fruits. Then when he comes those who belong to him. So Christ first came out of the grave with a resurrected body. Now, people have died in Christ and have been risen. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. There's also people in hell that are in torment already. So there is life already after you die. But he's the first one with the resurrected body where you could see the nail prints in his hands, in his feet, and where they pierced his side, he told Doubting Thomas, look, and doubt no longer. He's the first one. He was given the power. Notice in John chapter 10, verse 18, he said, No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power. Houdini thought he could do that. He said, if I find a way from the grave to life, I'll, I'll, I'll meet with you 25 years later. They're still re waiting 50 years later. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my father. And so the order is Christ first and then we will be raised from the dead. Then he said in verse 24, all the things that we dislike about this world will end. In verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And then in verse 25 to 29, he tells us God will reign, for he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him so that God may be all in all. 
I know that sometimes we look for some character to come on the scene and usher in a utopia or peace, but that's not going to come until Jesus Christ comes. He told us exactly how the end will take place. Now, let's look at the inquiring mind wondering, I got this body. What kind of body will I have when I get to heaven? My mom just celebrated her 90th birthday last month, and she, she has a couple wrinkles at 90. <laughs> and um, I wonder, will, will we look like her? Um, and then you have little babies. They, they have a lot of wrinkles, too. They're going to stretch out into them, and then it's like an accordion, and then you stretch back in it. <laughs> Isn't it funny? <laughs> I wonder what we'll look like. wonder what kind of body we'll have people were thinking that so Paul tackles that argument hmm how can God take this body and make a glorified body out of it he answers those questions beginning in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15 don't you just love this chapter so much about the resurrection but someone may ask as we think about these illustrations of different body types how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come? And so he begins to explain about a seed. Many of us have had seeds in our hands. He goes, how foolish. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed perhaps of weed or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined and to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. Hmm. Well, think of all the different seeds that you've planted in the ground. How many of you ever remember four o'clock flowers? Four o'clock flowers. Raised them in Detroit, Michigan. How about apple seeds or pear seeds or orange seeds? You, it's just a dead seed in your hand. God is telling you that. So we're dead. Can that seed live? Again, you can put it in water. You can tuck it under your pillow. You can put it in your mouth, pretend it's a tooth, pull it out. The fairy tale, a fairy lady's not coming by giving you any money for it. It's not going to grow. But you put it in the ground, and the miracle of birth takes place. Once you go in that ground, the miracle of birth takes place. In fact, the second you die, wherever you're at, your body's not there. I'm gone, and you're watching all the people say, oh, he's gone. Oh, should I laugh or should I cry? You'll get that when you have a mother that's 90 years old or 95 years old or 100 years old. It's funny how we become like babies again. Remember that accordion thing? Wow. I, I, my wife doesn't want to live that long. She said she wants to die at 74. That way she doesn't have to have anyone see her that way. It is very humbling getting old, isn't it? Very humbling. That's why we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly before I become older. But wait till I get married. Remember how you were, kids, when you were single? I see some young people. Out here. But wait till I get married. Wait till I have kids. Wait till I get my first job. Wait till I, get my, I win the lotto. I don't know what it is for you, but uh, I'm ready right now for Jesus to come back. If you're living in sin, you're not ready for him to come back. I've been there, done that. Not excited about seeing God. It's about like a teenager staying out late tonight and their dad's waiting behind the door when they come in the house. You don't want to meet him. I remember 12 o'clock one night meeting my dad in the garage. You know how men are. They work long, late hours. 
And then the wife hits them right when they come in the door. Don't you hate that, teenagers? Mama, do you know what your daughter did? Do you know what your son did? He said a cuss word. My dad looked around and found a baseball bat. You know those big fat ones, the plastic ones? My dad showed he almost became a professional baseball player. He hit so many home runs on me, I'm telling you what. You don't want to meet daddy when he's angry. Back to the passage of the resurrection and a body that's like a seed. He's teaching us. See, we're Christians here, so we can laugh, we can enjoy. We understand it. You put the seed in the ground, it lives. But then he, he appeals to our conscience and our reasoning and said, well, look at the animals. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh and animals have another. And birds another and fish another. Okay, so he's, he's so guys, just look at it. You thinking I can't make a resurrected body out of this old worn cloth? Look at the things that we can do. We just think we, got, we have something coming up here. Uh, the women's meeting that's coming up. What do they call it here, guys? Swap to your drop. We want to invite you to bring all your junk, all your trash. No, all the, no, no bring some nice things that you're not going to use anymore. Bring it and drop it off before the 11. And then magically it'll turn into treasure for somebody I believe it's on the 17th or the 18th? 17th. Come in the morning and look at someone else's junk. It'll become your treasure. That's what God's able to do with your bodies. He's able to make something beautiful out of your body. You don't think you're beautiful now? You'll be beautiful then. So all you ugly people out there, you have hope. <laughs> then there's the heavenly bodies. He's saying, look, there's the seed, there's the animals, and then there's the heavenly bodies in verse 41 and 40. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from one star in splendor. He's appealing to us again. Wow, I get it, God. A dead seed can live. I look at the different kinds of flesh and animals and fish. I look in the heavens. I see the different kind of bodies. I have no trouble believing that you can change this fleshly body into a glorified body. That's what he's trying to communicate to all of us. And he reminds us of this particular fact in verse 42. He said, so will it be at the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual one. Ah, isn't your enthusiasm for the resurrection increasing? Your belief in the resurrection increasing? You see all the evidence you heard him tackle the naysayers, and now he's given you some ideas of what it may be like to have a glorified body. And then he reminds us very clearly that no flesh will ever see him. That's why you and me need to believe in the resurrection in order to get a resurrected body. In verse 50, he said, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. God is clearly telling you, you need to get a new body. You think you got all that body and more? (laughs) Well, you're going to have to exchange it and give it up. He will give you a better body. How fast will it happen? Well, I know some of you ladies spend a lot of time in front of those mirrors trying to get that body to look like a glorified body. And some of you do a pretty good job. Don't only have it all melt away when you go in the shower. Well, guess what? You're going to be changed in the twinkling. We won't have to wait on our wives, guys. You'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Hallelujah. You'll have that glorified body with all that dippity-doo. When will that happen at the last trump? I, I know we're, we're smiling a little bit, but this is a great day for us. Amen, believers? Amen. This is a resurrected day. We've been forgiven of our sins. We already got that body waiting on us. Hey, can't wait to get in there. And we got a home waiting on us. We're going to meet our Savior. This is an exciting day. I don't understand why we don't celebrate it more than Christmas and Thanksgiving. By the way, we used to have a picnic every year until the city thought it wasn't a good idea for believers to gather under a tree. But we're gathered in spite of them. Take that, world. Amen. Hallelujah. We're still meeting. We've been meeting since Mother's Day last year. Hallelujah. I better be careful and not get too cocky. (laughs) Or that trumpet blast in verse 52 might happen. It says here in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump will sound and the dead shall be raised imperishable. And we will be changed and will be given immortality. You know, everybody walks around saying they got this and got that. That'll help you live 100 years, 110 years, 115 years. Do you really want to live that long in this body? No, he said, you'll exchange it in verse 53. Let's look at it as our last passages. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality. It's got to happen. We got to give up our breath in order to gain that spiritual breath. And when the perishable has clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And we sing a lot about this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. We all know about that. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For believers, this is a wonderful message. This is a wonderful chapter to go to, to to encourage yourself when things look down, when you're in the valley, when you lose hope, when things are in chaos all around us. Go to this chapter. God has given it to you. Jesus has given it to us that we might be encouraged This is not where it all ends. Cancer, you will be defeated. You know how they do those commercials? Well, it will be defeated in the twinkling of an eye. It will be defeated. If you're an unbeliever here today or you've been skeptical, well, the word of God goes forth and it doesn't return void. It will accomplish what he intends it to accomplish. So today's the day God's making his appeal to you. Will you call upon him and believe in him? He's giving you the evidence Our testimony is that he has risen from the dead and he has given us life and he'll give you life today too. All of us had to do this. Whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. If you're looking in our line this morning and you're watching us, would you please go to the comment section and let us know, I have given my life to Jesus. I'll be up here praying, standing up here. If you're here 
Maybe this is the day you'll give your life to Jesus Christ. He will forgive you of your sins if you'll ask him, and he'll give you the gift of eternal life. One last thing. He said this. If you deny me before people, like Peter did, but he did forgive Peter. Basically what he's saying is if you live a life of saying, I don't know Jesus, and then you die. Oh, I know you, Jesus. Yeah, man, I went to church. I even sat in church. Is that identifying yourself with Jesus? Not necessarily. He wants you to identify yourself in Jesus and come forward and say, I want to be baptized. Baptism identifies you with God. Will you do that this morning? Would you stand? Would you give God praise for the word in his house today? Would you stand and continue the worship of God this morning in prayer and in song? To God be the glory. Great things he is doing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.